Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Welcome to the base space. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, this is a crypto podcast. It's by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo, also joined by Super High, um, as well for this episode, Chase Coins. Unfortunately, had something come up last minute, so uh, you're stuck with us too this time. Uh, the, we we really focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, uh, and education in the crypto industry within the space. Um, today, we have the honor of having David Choi and Michael Rogers. Uh, from Protocol Labs. Really excited to have you guys on. Excited to dig into Filecoin and also NFT storage with you guys. Welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for everyone new that we bring on the space, we always like to ask them how they got into crypto, but just love to hear both of your stories and, and learn how you got into the space. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, Wow, where to even start, man? Um, so I was like into the peer-to-peer web back in like 2009, <laughs> and uh, as a result, like joined like the CouchDB company and created like uh, some early peer-to-peer databases that worked in the browser, um, like PouchDB. Um, and uh, so I've been working like in the sort of like just peer-to-peer decentralized technologies for a really long time, and specifically thinking a lot about data and how to deal with data. Um, and then, of course, like as crypto happened, like definitely was watching that and reading the papers and everything, but wasn't exactly seeing like the things that kind of lined up with my interest necessarily. Um, and then Protocol Labs and Juan Benet started to put together some of the primitives that I was like kind of actually looking for during that time. Um, these are like really simple primitives for content addressing data, but like creating a whole decentralized network of data. And those primitives eventually kind of became the foundation for IPFS. And so um, I was introduced to Juan, you know, um, at, at my conference, um, probably like in 2015 or something like that. And then uh, in, God, it was until like 2018, 2019 that I actually kind of pinged him and was like, hey, like maybe it's time for me to come over there and, and work with you. Um, and then uh, for the first few years at Protocol Labs, I ran the IPLD team, which is like the underlying data structures beneath IPFS. And then uh, last year, uh, we did a restructuring, um, and I took on a group that was building, you know, the, the goal was to build proofs of concepts, and then we do a bunch of these proofs of concepts. But the first proof of concept that we did was the NFT storage, <laughs> and it did really well, and everybody really liked it. And uh, we started storing, like, pretty much all the NFTs. And so from there, we've, uh, we've just been doing this. <laughs> it's been great. That's awesome, man. Love hearing, I love hearing your story, and... What about you, David? Yeah, um, I guess the first time I encountered crypto was kind of the same way everyone else did back in the day when um, people were trying to, you know, like buy things like fake IDs and stuff. And oh, what's Bitcoin? Like, what, what, like, is this whole uh, way of transacting that is peer to peer, and you know, you you don't have to like go through a bank for like an exchange medium, but it's still digital and things like that. And um, got into it at that point back, you know, when I was in like high school, college time, um, but then kind of forgot about it until one of the, maybe the, like the first mainstream boom back in uh, maybe like 2017, I want to say. Um, and I, I was a, I was a management consultant working for a big consulting firm. 
um, and you know, like technology, interesting technology was kind of like my main thing to to keep an eye out for what good opportunities were out there, and and just like you know, wanting to learn more. Um, and crypto was popping up, and it, it reminded me of like my first foray into things. Uh, you know, it uh, seemed like an important technology that was going to stick around for a long time, regardless of um, folks' opinions on how big it could be or you know how much like lasting power it had. Uh, so um, I ended up doing kind of like an internship with Protocol Labs um, in 2018, uh, dug into some of the crypto economic constructs for Filecoin. Uh, it was kind of related to what I studied in school around, um, it's a, a branch of applied math around um, agent-based simulation and, and tools that now are, are, are kind of mainstream in the in the crypto economic space. But back then there was just like three medium posts of people thinking about this stuff and, and kind of trying to piece things together. Um, and then, yeah, returned to Protocol Labs uh, about three years ago, um, you know, bounced around a little bit on some of the different open source projects. So Michael mentioned IPLD. I was on the IPFS project for a while and yeah, joined Michael on the team for NFT.storage. And we also launched a sister project called Web3.storage and um, oh, we're, we're leading that team. I'm more on like the product and operations business side of things. And, and Michael leads kind of the technical vision side of things and it's great working together to, to try and bring these technologies and make them more usable for, for web devs out there. Very, very cool. Yeah. I love, love hearing your, both of your journeys and, um, how you, I both joined protocol labs. So it sounds like you guys I've both been working together for quite some time. I'm kind of curious, like, what are what are like the biggest lessons that you've learned so far by working at Protocol Labs or throughout your time there? Well, I none of it. Like, I think that there's a lot to say about Protocol Labs that would probably not be as interesting to people that aren't in Protocol Labs. But I'll say, like, the last year and a half here of being like deep into NFTs has actually showed me a lot more about kind of what's going on in the community. And uh, like, you know, being a kid like who was on the internet in the 90s and kind of a hacker, it, it's amazing to sort of see internet culture really like shine and come to the forefront. Like everything that's going on in the NFT space, everything that's going on really in the crypto space too, it's all like very young and very just internet. Like everything is a meme, just a way of communicating. Like all of it is just really, really awesome. And really like natively kind of peer to peer in a way that um, I didn't even realize, like even in the open source communities that I come from, it is, is not this kind of natively peer to peer and natively internet. It's really cool. Yeah, for me, I think um, it's just, uh, I think similar to Michael, being exposed to more of the community side of things just makes you realize how uh, how many people are interested in the space, uh, what an opportunity we have right now to kind of shape the discourse and a lot of things that are going to be around for a long time. And at Protocol Labs, uh, you know, if I, if I had to point out like a flaw with Protocol Labs, it's that we've really thought from the ground up and like very fundamental focus building things in like a very modular and technically sound way and, and things like that. Um, but I think if you're kind of heads in the weeds all the time, you don't necessarily uh, understand what you need to be building to, to kind of shape the future like that's happening right now. So I think by working on NFT storage and Web3 storage with Michael, uh, it's been a really cool opportunity to take a lot of the building blocks that we've been working on for a long time. 
but make it into this production ready product that folks can use to really kind of build things the right way. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of stuff going out there on the space. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, Twitter trolls fighting fights on <laughs> things that may or may not matter and, and stuff like that. And um, in the end, the, the folks who are going to win out are the folks who build the best products. And um, that's really our goal at this point. Yeah, what I love about this community is that they just build, like everyone just runs out and builds stuff. Like, you know, I, I'm in the Bay Area and I'm so used to people being like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I have this great idea. We're going to start a company and we're going to do a fundraising round. And like, no, in, in crypto, people just make it and they put all their wallets in the contract and like, they're just flying, right? And that's like, really fun, I think, for us, because it, it really forces us to make all of our technology incredibly usable because people are always going to do the easiest thing. So unless we can make it the easiest thing, like we're not going to win. And I think that what makes us a little bit unique is that coming from Protocol Labs, we have put like, you know, many years into thinking about how to design protocols and how to do decentralized systems. And so there is a lot of like really great engineering underneath all of it, but we're pushed really strongly in the direction of, no, no, this has to be very usable right away before we release it. Um, and the community really pushes us to do that. And that's been great. I think you touched on an important point, um, just like the usability, right? Because if it's difficult for the, the normal Joe Schmo to use, then, you know, we're not going to onboard a lot of the world, right? Because uh, a lot of people don't want to take the time out of the day to go and learn how to interact with DeFi or NFTs or just Web3 in general. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's really important as well. And just shifting gears a little bit. Um, more to like Filecoin for those people listening on Spotify and YouTube. Uh, could you explain maybe how storing data on Filecoin is different than a, uh, a centralized service like Dropbox? Well, sure. I, I think we should really start, I think with IPFS and then, and then get to Filecoin because Filecoin in, in, in many ways is like a blockchain for storing IPFS data and participating in the IPFS network as like a sort of blockchain provider effectively. Um, and so data that goes into IPFS is all hash addressed. And so you can think of this like an URL, but unlike a URL where um, you have to go to a server in a specific place that can be blocked um, and is you know, centrally controlled, this hash address, it can be served by anyone. So you can literally go out there and ask the internet for a CID, a content identifier from IPFS and say, hey, internet, give me this CID. And anybody on the internet can give it to you. And because of the hash address, you know you got the data that you were looking for. That's really like the power of IPFS and the power of those protocols. Um, and our service you know, takes in IPFS data, exposes it over various IPFS protocols, and we get it into Filecoin. And in Filecoin, what happens is that you now get a contract, like a cryptographic guarantee, that this provider is going to keep that content available for X amount of time. These contracts usually have a, a duration associated with them. And if they weren't, uh, and the network is basically proving that they're continuing to, to store that data. That's part, like that, that's really like what Filecoin is doing behind the scenes. That's all of the proofs engine and all of that. It's just proving that you are actually storing this data. Um, and if anybody, you know, if any of those providers don't store that data for the duration, then they lose a bunch of money that was effectively in escrow. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, that's exactly right. Um, but I think one thing that folks often get confused by is thinking that um, IPFS is an end-to-end -end storage solution in and of itself. And um, IPFS, like Michael mentioned, just refers to uh, the, the referencing and the retrieval of data via 
the content address, like this unique fingerprint of the data that is is a property of the data itself. Really, it, it doesn't mean it doesn't need any context to to know that that data is referring or is referenced by that uh, content address. So you could actually have it, it. It's not prescriptive about where the data is physically sitting. If it's on IPFS, you can have that data sitting anywhere, like your local computer or a server somewhere or a thumb drive or decentralized storage systems or uh, wherever. Um, Filecoin takes this and then um, does the IPFS thing. Filecoin is really a type of IPFS, but then also uh, is prescriptive about where that data is physically stored, but extends this idea of um, not having to trust the body that's storing it. Um, so with just like IPFS on you know a cloud server somewhere, you don't really have to trust uh, that that cloud server is giving you the right data when you request it via the content ID because you get it back and you can just verify, you hash the data and verify it matches the CID. But you don't actually know if that server is storing that data unless uh, they give it to you and, and then you get the data back and you can verify that. Uh, what Filecoin does is actually prove that that server is storing its data. So you don't really need to know who that person is out there who's storing your data, but if you contract to them to store your data, um, they're submitting these proofs that physically show that for this duration of time, they're storing this exact copy of that data. Um, and then that proof gets generated, validated by the rest of the network and ends up on the Filecoin blockchain. So anyone out there can verify that this given content ID is being stored like X amount of times for this this duration of time. And um, you know, it, it's actually not that easy to store data on Filecoin, like just straight up interacting with the network. Uh, think of it as like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, a marketplace where there's, uh, you know, sellers and buyers and that sort of thing. And not everyone is going to go to that uh, wholesale marketplace to do their shopping. Uh, there's services like NFT storage or Web3 storage or estuary um, and, and a lot more that are being created to uh, kind of abstract that experience for you. But underneath the hood, they're storing your data with Filecoin storage providers. And even you as an end user can go to the Filecoin blockchain at any given point and verify that your data is actually being stored. So you don't actually yeah. have to trust like NFT.storage that it's happening. Yeah, just like any blockchain network, right? Like there's a certain size at which, you know, you it's not worth it to transact the data in because there's transaction overhead, right? And just getting something into the network. And in Filecoin too, there's like a minimum sector size. So the minimum sector size is like 32 gigabytes. And so if you wanted to store less than 32 gigabytes but do your own deal for just your data, you basically have to zero pad a bunch of empty bytes up to 32 gigabytes. So that's why you end up with, you know, people like us and people like Estuary that are saying, oh, well, if you have less data than 32 gigabytes and you don't want to wait until you've accumulated 32 gigabytes to get your data into the network, we're going to pass a bunch of data together and put it into these deals. So on that end part right there, if you wanted to um, upload less than 32 gigabytes of data, were you saying that your data would also be packed together with someone else's data in the same, I guess, uh, block or storage? Yeah, yeah. So it's not, I wouldn't call it a block. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the terminology gets a little bit tricky, but effectively a, a sector is just like any data but what we put into the network uh, are called car files. These are uh, content addressed archives. And so what they are is it's, it's a bunch of individual blocks of data and their hash addresses. There's their CIDs, those content identifiers that IPFS uses. So, um, you know, I can take any arbitrary amount of data and pack it next to other data. Um, and all of that data will be, you know, securely put into the network. And I don't need to worry about, you know, stepping on anybody else's data and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 it's the same concept as like L2s on Ethereum where to make things more efficient, like 
the the storage provider is running proofs on top of the sector but like that proof that's generated is um proving that all the data in that sector is is actually being stored and uh, you can actually do retrievals now uh just for your portion of the data in that sector so as an end user, your experience isn't really like affected too much by the fact that your data is being packed in with other people's. Okay. And is there any, I guess, uh, my last question on that subject would be, is there any security risk of it being stored with other people's data as well? No, no. I mean, it's all, it's all hash addressed. <laughs> it's, the, it's the beauty of hash addressing. Um, like if anybody modifies the data, it's not going to match the address anymore. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, the beauty of it, right? It's also the beauty of it for us as a service provider, because, you know, we have a centralized service that people put data into, but we're able to create trustless protocols where, you know, they're giving us hash address data and they know that we didn't modify it or anything like that. Um, and we even, you know, have, uh, you know, decentralized permissioning architectures and stuff now too, that we're investing in. So. I'm super curious, like, what are the requirements to actually become a storage provider for Filecoin? Uh, Well, there's two things, right? One is like the hardware requirements. Um, And we have a lot of like very new proofs. So you do need like a pretty nice box uh, to do some some Filecoin mining. Um, Well, I mean, I think you can run it on another box, but, you know, to really be efficient, um, there's there's some nice hardware requirements. Those are documented somewhere on like a wiki somewhere, but you got to get one of those one of those nice uh, cards that everybody who's doing mining gets. Um, you need a fair amount of storage, obviously, and you're also going to need a little bit of collateral um, because, like like I said earlier, if you don't fulfill the the duration of the contract, if if you say you're going to store data for three months and a month later you stop storing the data, you're going to lose that collateral. So you've got to actually um, often borrow against it or or get that collateral in order to get into the network and do those deals. Got it. So is the is the Filecoin token essentially used for like payments within the network and also as as collaterals? Uh, are those like the two main u- yep. use cases that users should be aware of? Yep, yep. And and you know we're connected to like all the DeFi bridges. So you know if you if you need to get uh, money, if you need to get Filecoin from another currency and vice versa, it's really simple to do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that is the currency that's used in the network. Got it. No, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And um, are you seeing like a lot of use cases with like general general users with the protocol, or is it mainly uh, developers who are using Filecoin for storage? Um. So we've we've seen a couple different categories of customers. Um, the ones that we work with the most, obviously, are like regular NFT users that are coming into our service and then we're packing all that data together to get it into Filecoin. But we've also seen larger institutions and larger archives coming online and putting data into the network as well because it's so cheap. Um, it's literally like it's it's getting close to like potentially negative cost um, because there's there's the system called Verified Deals, uh, Filecoin Plus where if you have a verified data and we, we have a, a signing mechanism that you can sign up for and get like an allotment of what's called data cap for these verified deals, um, that gives you a multiplier in the Filecoin network. So if you're storing real data that's actually like useful to people, we'll put a multiplier on that and miners really love that data. So they're actually like competing over it and that, and that cost is really, really low. Um, because there's, I mean, David probably knows this number and I don't, but there's like an unbelievable amount of committed capacity in the Filecoin network. Um, so much so that it is like dramatically outstripped uh, demand at this point. 
And uh, a lot of that data is just, you know, miners generating, you know, their own data and doing a deal with themselves, right? So we'd really like, you know, more valuable data to get in the network. And so that's where this multiplier comes from. There are other advantages too to, to self-dealing. Like, you know, if you, if you don't fulfill the contract, for instance, then you, you might not be losing as much money. But um, yeah, they're, we're, we're expecting that verified deals are eventually going to take over, you know, the lion's share of the network over time. But um, yeah, there's like an unbelievable amount of capacity. So it's quite cheap and we're seeing a lot of archival use cases coming on right now. Uh, Michael, you were a little spotty on my end, so I apologize oh, sorry. if I... Um... No, it was a little, a little laggy for me as well. Okay, no worries. So if you did touch on this a little bit, because I, I heard you say that um, it, it's cheaper to store on Filecoin, but how do the prices compare to traditional storage providers? It's like, uh, I mean, I think it's like a rounding error to zero right now. It's like, I let, let me pull up the actual number. Um, yeah, it's this one. It's unbelievably cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, um, yeah, 0.01% the cost of um, S3 um, per unit data stored right now. Wow. That's, yeah, that's pretty insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I actually assumed the, this connection was spotty on my end when Michael was talking because it's like crappy hotel Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, so I'm glad it wasn't just me, but uh, Michael might have touched on this, but using Filecoin, I think like the use cases are expanding beyond just uh, directly uh, paying for storage and for collateral for uh, storage providers and things like that. There, you know, there's DeFi markets being instrumented for borrowing where um, you can uh, stake your uh, file coin and then that helps fund uh, quickly growing storage providers who are looking to to bring on a lot more data onto the network and get yield off of that and um, all these other cool kind of like innovations that kind of exist in other ecosystems um, but you know it, it's not yield for the sake of yield it's actually yield going to an actual uh, service being provided which is I think is super cool and um, on the Web3 storage side of the house for us, we're looking at kind of a similar model where uh, today users get a terabyte of data for free. Um, and then in the future, uh, they'll be able to expand that amount of uh, capacity on Web3.storage by staking Filecoin with us, um, which then we can use to fund the, the actual storage deals, which are super cheap or um, you know, farm yield on that and, and things like that um, as a way for us to monetize but then, you know, it, it, it's it's hedged against the fact that, hey, the cost for us is paying in Filecoin and we're denominating things in Filecoin. And, um, you know, for a user, they don't necessarily have to, like, pay any costs out of pocket. They're staking Filecoin. And that's going to be a story that's really, uh, you know, makes sense for a lot of folks. And, um, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of potential with the token itself that we're super excited about. And, and we've also announced that the Filecoin VM uh, is in development and it's slated to launch at some point this year. And so once the VM is there, we're, we're going to see data DAOs and all kinds of new use cases popping up. It's going to be pretty wild. Oh, yeah, that, that that's a great reminder on the NFT storage side. You know, our mission is to persist uh, and perpetually uh, store all off-chain NFT data as a public good. And part of the story is to decentralize ourselves out of this storage flow to get things onto Filecoin and uh, yeah, the Filecoin virtual machine and, and uh, you know, uh, smart contract based markets and things like that. The, those are all things uh, that we're really looking forward to with the Filecoin virtual machine.
Yeah, I'm, you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, David, around like some of the sectors that you're, you're seeing momentum in with like DeFi and, and so forth. Are there any other like big sectors? Are you seeing any momentum with like GameFi or, or CFi or, or other or other areas with, with Filecoin and, and the storage solution? Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, a lot of the, um, so like DeFi, definitely a market, um, but it, it's kind of like an enabler for a lot of activity uh, on the Filecoin market potentially, or for other ecosystems. I'd say in terms of like direct use cases of Filecoin storage, there's a ton of really cool things out there, uh, you know, in in just from the fact that data storage is so inexpensive on Filecoin and um, you're not going to find that with pretty much any other centralized storage provider or decentralized storage network outside of Filecoin. And um, it, one way that folks are pushing the boundaries with uh, with things like NFTs to gaming to uh, more metaverse applications of those technologies is uh, creating really vivid worlds, 3D worlds, um, large game assets and making decentralized marketplaces for them. Uh, so Mona is a team that are, are creating these gorgeous 3D worlds and um, the worlds themselves are NFTs, but then, um, you know, you can actually immerse yourself uh, into the metaverse through them. And uh, I, I think they're one of their big things is they make it really easy for creators to, to be able to um, create assets to list on their platform. But all that data is backed up to Filecoin um, for, for its safety and, um, you know, the, the it, these are large assets, so Filecoin's a really good uh, use case for that. Um, there's uh, another team um, that they're actually building on NFT.storage called Strange Mood. They're in the um, in the Solana ecosystem, and they're building a decentralized Steam where they're taking like a small fraction of the um, kind of the transaction fees that like Steam would take and putting that into a DAO uh, to fund future development of the platform. Um, I, I think they are close to launching, but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, applications like this are, are super cool. And um, the story just like really makes sense with the fact that uh, with Filecoin, you have this really cheap verifiable layer of storage. Uh, you can really instrument any sort of decentralized storage system on top of it itself uh, with the Filecoin virtual machine. And because everything is content ID based, if you need to store your data in other places as, as well to make yourself feel safe or uh, for more performance reasons, you're able to do that, and it's all interoperable. Very, very cool. I we we also have like a ton of uh, like kind of up and coming developers and people that are learning to code and like Solidity and and so forth. And it, I know the the community would be interested in in hearing if like where they should go for like developer resources for Filecoin or even or even NFT storage. Do you guys have like? Um, a recommended place that people should check out to, to learn more about how they can actually um, use Filecoin or NFT storage and in, in their own protocols and their own work? Yeah, I'd say for folks looking to interact with the Filecoin network directly, um, the Filecoin docs website is the like best place to start. But I think with like any other community, you'll quickly jump into like the community channels. I think Filecoin, the main activity there happens on a, a giant Slack uh, workspace rather than Discord right now. Um, for as for uh, you know, just web devs out there trying to make it easy to store data on Filecoin, and maybe they want that copy up there just to make sure that it's like verifiable, uh, verifiably like stored. 
they don't have to trust us to know that it's up there um and they just want to build like a web application around it i i would totally just recommend um hopping over to if it's an nft use case uh, nft.storage where you'll be able to store that off-chain nft data for free uh web3.storage is our sister product that uh shares a lot of the same backend infrastructure and uh, a lot of really really cool upgrades actually coming to to the back end um, in the next few months to really just like make it as performant as uh, using any other uh, kind of traditional storage platform out there while keeping things trustless. Um, and, you know, like, uh, depending on what you need, uh, there's all sorts of other cool teams uh, working on stuff. There's the estuary team, if you want to be like, have folks running their own nodes in your their applications, uh, you know, own IPFS and uh, Filecoin nodes, and really just, uh, you know, decentralizing things completely by making it peer to peer. Um, Pinata is super well known in the NFT space where uh, folks who want like the reliability of a SLA and a monthly bill um, can go over there. And uh, I think, you know, if you're a big NFT marketplace, you're incentivized to keep data up because your reputation's on the line if it goes down. And um, something like Pinata could be like totally like the best fit solution for you. So um, all sorts of teams out there. Oh, I guess, yeah, Pinata is not storing on PowerPoint today, but I think that's coming up on the horizon. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that these platforms exist in the middle to make it really easy for web developers to, to use these tools um, in kind of like the workflows that they're used to without having to get too deep under the hood. Very, very cool. Um, and also for like NFT storage, um, I'm sure people are wondering like why, why is storing like NFT data on a decentralized network so important and why, why should people be using N the NFT storage service? Yeah, um, so I, I would say storing it on a decentralized network is part of the story. I think the number one thing, so like maybe decentralized storage network is like the 1.5 most important thing, but the number one most important thing is using a, uh, a hash of the data in, in, uh, to reference your off-chain data. Um, and that's because an NFT is only as good as its weakest link, really. And um, all the stuff on chain with an NFT, you know, the smart contract governing the rules of the NFT, what that NFT is in the minting transaction, the history of ownership, all that stuff is obviously immutable uh, because it, it's taking place on a blockchain and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's verified by cryptography and wallets and things like that. But, um, you know, the whatever that NFT is, is rarely also stored on chain, it's off chain. Um, and if you want NFTs to fulfill their promises, this immutable data graph of, uh, of pointers that can't change, uh, you need that, uh, that NFT to be pointing off chain using some sort of hash of the data itself. And IPFS, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like a brand name at this point. But like all IPFS is, is a set of standards on how to go ahead and hash a piece of data and reference that piece of data and um, and uh, have folks out there broadcast that they have that data based on the hash. Uh, so, you know, it, it doesn't matter like where you think physically the data you think is best to store it in. You, you should be using an IPFS CID in your minting transaction itself to define an NFT because then no one can actually argue with you what your NFT is. It's a property, a CID is a, a property of the data itself. So you can always take that piece of data, hash it, and show anyone that that data is yours. Now, when we talk about decentralized storage systems, it does get to, okay, 
um, this data has to physically sit somewhere and be available somewhere. And especially in NFTs, where part of the beauty is, hey, we're going to be having this data be accessible publicly, um, you know, interoperable metaverses and things like that all want uh, to be able to use this NFT data. Where should I be storing it? Uh, Decentralized storage is great because uh, these networks are generally public. uh, They're not custodial. uh, So like anyone can step up and help make sure that data is continued to be stored. Uh, You know, it's trustless uh, or depending on the system, I guess. I would read the fine print for whatever decentralized storage network you're looking into. But uh, at least with Filecoin, we can confidently say it's trustless. You can always check the Filecoin blockchain to verify that your data is being stored. Um, Yeah. And, um, you know, depending on what your use case is, if you want something like perpetual storage of your NFT, uh, you can always use uh, the building block that is Filecoin to, to instrument that. Filecoin tells you that this data is being stored for a given amount of time uh, and verifiably. Uh, and then you can do something like instrument a smart contract to listen to the Filecoin blockchain, make sure that data is always stored 10 times out there. And if it ever falls beneath that number, it can jump into action and, and store more copies of that data. So um, that that's kind of the beauty of decentralized storage. You're, you're then at that point, uh, not reliant on any one party to ensure that that's still there. Yeah. Do you, do you think that people are using other solutions, like you mentioned, like off-chain storage and things like that? Do you think that people are doing that because those solutions are less expensive? Do you think that it's because, like, there's a lack of education? Like, what do you, why do you think people are, um, you know, using using other systems that are outside of, like, NFT sto- NFT.storage? And are you seeing a lot of momentum with people? Um, coming from those other sources and, and moving to NFT.storage once you kind of educate them on the benefits of being fully decentralized um, and, and all the other benefits that you just mentioned. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry, go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say, I think that rug pulls are doing a good job of educating people for us a little bit. Like, <laughs> the nice thing about these hash-based identifiers is that you can't go and change the data later. And given that people have done that, um, it's really nice to to have that extra security in there, and I think that people are starting to come around because of that. Um, but yeah, yep. David may have more. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, uh, like off chain data storage itself is a good thing, um, and it happens because of cost. Uh, you know, it's cost. It's prohibitive to mint an NFT with like uh, even ten megabyte file um, on chain directly. Uh, so off chain data storage is a good thing. Um, you just need to make sure that you're using a hash of the data in uh, the minting transaction when you're defining that NFT itself. Uh, and yeah, like Michael is saying, if you, uh, if you don't do that, you are subject to things like rug pulls. Uh, Moxie Marlins Spike had a really uh, kind of a blog post that really blew up. And I thought it was a really, really good blog post where he uh, created a, uh, an NFT and with a, like an HTTP URL, um, minted it, listed it on OpenSea, uh, swapped out the um, the image on the server that uh, it was pointing to with a poop emoji. And then it became like this poop emoji NFT. Um, and then actually like there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happened after that too, where like, you know, then OpenSea like, like detected this and delisted the NFT and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like all an NFT says is you own this, uh, this thing defined by the minting contract uh, minting transaction, the smart contract. Uh, and that thing is uh, just, you know, it's code. 
whatever that code says and whatever people say that code means, that's what you own. Um, so you just want to be really careful making sure that you're making the best case that you own the thing that you think you're owning. Um, and yeah, as far as more generally decentralized storage solutions go, um, one cool thing about NFT.Storage, and to be clear, NFT.Storage today isn't fully decentralized. You know, we're waiting for the Filecoin virtual machine before creating, or like decentralizing ourselves out of the picture, spinning up a DAO to fund uh, smart contracts that are always making sure that data stored on NFT.Storage is, um, you know, replicated on the Filecoin network. Um, and we're really excited about that vision, um, but you don't really have to trust us or like, you know, to have 100% faith that that vision is going to happen. Once the data is available on the IPFS network, you can pin it anywhere. Uh, pin it like, you know, on your computer. I think wallets really should ha come with IPFS nodes. And anytime you buy an NFT in the wallet, the text that should pin a local copy for you. Um, you can pin it to places like Pinata or even run uh, IPFS in like AWS or whatever. And, and if that's what you need to do to feel safe, do that. Um, put it on other decentralized storage networks to hedge your bets. Uh, I think other decentralized storage networks uh, kind of intentionally didn't uh, use IPFS to address their data. Um, and that's a big bummer because uh, IPFS is just this universal addressing layer. And um, I, I think everyone can agree that it should be a good thing that everyone's using. But thankfully, folks have created bridges to other decentralized storage networks where you can still reference data yeah, um, the the IPFS CID and and um, you know communicate with that uh, with that decentralized network using that identifier. So um, if that's what you need to do to feel safe, do that. And um, you know, uh, Michael had this really good blog post once uh, talking about the illusion of permanence. And if there's any one thing we know, it's that there's no such thing as a storage system that has literally stood the test of time forever. Um, so hedge your bets. Do what you need to do to make yourself feel comfortable. Yeah, the beauty of IPFS is that you don't need to pick an either or. You can put it everywhere. And there's so many vendors now. You know, I'd like, I, I think that we should mention five. Hey, my God, I like think you're cutting out there. a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, maybe try again, Michael. <laughs> I was just saying um, the, the nice thing about IPFS is that you don't have to pick one or the other. You can pick any number of solutions. There's a lot of them out there. Um, Filebase is actually like in the channel, I think. So it's like they also store data in IPFS um, and use IPFS addressing. Um, yeah, and in the future, we'll see even more vendors. And we'll also see more implementations of IPFS in browsers. Like Brave Browser runs an, an IPFS node for you, right? Like that's another place where your data is going to be backed up potentially. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Um, the long-term story, the end game here, um, ideally would be everyone's running, um, you know, their own nodes, uh, browsers or wallets or wherever. It's like a, a really good uh, you know, entry point for adoption of this sort of thing. And then you have control over what data um, you have persisted. And, um, you know, th then you take the, the, the concept of trustlessness and you really extend it to the furthest uh, kind of furthest application of it um, at the same time, realistically. And I, I think I'm less of a purist and more of a realist here. It's, it's no one actually wants to have like multiple terabytes of data on their computer. And maybe someday it's like just so cheap to do that. It's like not a big deal. Uh, but uh, outsourcing it to others, I think there will always be a service for that sort of thing. Um, you know, things did objectively get better when cloud services became a thing. Um, 
and we we kind of went from like it wasn't like from web one to web two but somewhere in the beginning of web two and uh, we just got to make a world where uh, folks aren't locked into those sorts of services because they're using things like um, content IDs and other low-level protocols that uh, you know are are decentralized and, and enabling this decentralized future. Yeah, maybe, maybe I missed it. Do you guys have like both public and private data? So, like, if I wanted to share share a file with Super, is that is that possible? Is there like shareable links or or things like that? Well, first and foremost, um, any data that you put in IPFS is going to get hash addressed. And unless you have the data, you can't guess that hash address, right? So if you give them that, that hash and you don't share it with anybody else, you, you could potentially be sharing it sort of anonymously and, and uh, nobody would be able to notice most of the time. However, if you want to work with truly private data, you just encrypt the file first. And there are lots of encryption solutions built on top of IPFS. Um, Fission uh, has a really nice one, actually, for working with private data that just uses IPFS files. Um, there are others as well. And we're, we're always seeing new people in the space doing new things, and just encrypting their files and sticking them in IPFS. And then you're just working with, you know, like a, still a CID of the data, but it's just a, a CID of encrypted data. Yeah, and I, I, like encryption is the solution for private data here. And uh, like Michael's right, like one of the, like mathematically, the definition of a hash function includes the fact that you can't recreate uh, the um, the uh, hash from the or the data from the hash. So it's like yeah, like hey, you know, it, it's like somewhat private there. But for something like an NFT, like what that hash is, if it ends up in an NFT, that's all public data. So like a lot of times, folks do ask us, oh, you know, how do I make like a private NFT and things like that. So encryption is like at the core of the solution from. A product point of view, though, um, there are missing pieces here, and we do have the right primitives to solve these uh, missing pieces. We just have to put them all together. But you know, the the flow of hey, I want to uh, share this Google document with just this one other person, and what that looks like, and granting that permission, and you give them edit edit access, and then they can also share it with other people, and like how that whole flow works. Um, Michael mentioned Fission; they're working on something really called cool called UCAN tokens, and figuring out how. Um, you can tokens, which are just, uh, you know, these, uh, these uh, JWTs that um, allow you to grant permissions to others, um, if you have those permissions and, and uh, do it uh, via cryptographic signatures, um, how that ties into the whole encryption and permissioning workflow. So, um, you know, it, it's the pieces are all coming together, they exist um, in the realm of computer science. And uh, people are just figuring out a way to to make it, you know, feel the exact same in terms of ease of use as as we're enjoying uh, with, you know, or traditional services today. Just to reinforce what David said, if you put a link to an IPFS data in the chain, we'll actually pull it off of the chain and uh, pull it out of the network and store it. So that would not be private anymore if you were assuming that would be private. Yeah. So for us, it's a little bit of a feature, not a bug, because. Um, in our mission to back up all the NFT data out there as a public good, yeah, we're monitoring the chains and kind of doing that in the background. But um, yeah, totally. I think y'all get it. Um, just a, a question that spawned off of that is, um, when, I guess when decentralized identity is a thing, right? And you can, uh, is it the zero knowledge proofs that you can prove that you own something without exactly, you know, giving up the valuable information that you own that? Um, 
And if so, would that be a part that you may integrate uh, if people want to keep their privacy? Like, yes, I own this hash um, of NFT data, but I don't want to exactly say that I own it, but I can prove that I own it. There's a few different systems for this, and I, it's not in a, a state of maturity where I would necessarily pick a winner. Um, in decentralized identity or in that kind of specific use of zero-knowledge proof, there's obviously like a lot of zero-knowledge proof work, um, and we're using a bunch of the, the used all over the place. Um, but my recommendation to most people right now around decentralized identity is that if you find a workflow that works really well for you and your users, definitely adopt it and pick it up. But I wouldn't, you know, bet that that is going to be the decentralized identity workflow for everyone. You know, there's there's maybe 12 different competitors right now that are all working on kind of slightly different solutions in that space. Um, in terms of uh, asserting that you own something without uh, giving away that you own it, um, in the context of NFTs, I'm not quite sure how that would work, or maybe David's seen some some work or some new protocols in that space, but I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, no worries. I just had like a. I'm not a technical guy whatsoever, so I just, I figured I'd spit the question out. If there was an answer, then cool. If not, then also cool. Um, just a, another project that we saw was Web three dot storage. Could you touch on what this project is and why this project is also important? It's very similar to NFT storage. You know, it, it's a hosted service that will take your data and store it in, in IPFS and Filecoin. Um, it, it, the difference is that it's not designed for NFT data specifically. And so it's we're not, you know, doing that chain and we're not listening to the chain. We're not verifying that the data was on the chain. And with NFT storage, that's all publicly accessible data that thousands of applications are going to be building on. So we're thinking of that more as a public service and persisting that data long term. With Web three storage, it's you know you have data that you care about. You're you know going to want to pay somebody in order to to host that data um, and store that data and back it up for you. And so that's what the the service is really built around. Yeah, um, just kind of like taking what Michael said exactly right and, and rephrasing it. I think it's like they they share the same core where. Um, it's these easy interfaces for uh, folks to be able to store data onto to Filecoin and make it available onto the IPFS network. Um, and we have like the secret sauce and the infrastructure doing uh, design in a way where, uh, you know, that storage experience and the retrieval experience are per super performant and reliable, going to be increasingly so, um, and still constructed in a completely trustless way. Um, but the missions of the two products are, are very much different where nft.storage is looking to store nft data as a public good um tldr is like you know free even if you don't uh make your nft with like uh with use uh, storing your data on nft.storage or even using like an ipfs cid in your nft will do the work for you um you know all sorts of these things that revolve around making it a public good um including eventually decentralizing ourselves out of the picture and funding the project through like a DAO that anyone can contribute to folks in the traditional web two archival space, as well as, you know, you web three platforms with kind of skin in the game, like big marketplaces, uh, web three storage looks a lot more like a traditional storage product. Uh, you know, you get a ton of data on it, a terabyte of data on it for free today to use. Um, actually you can even get more than that for free today. Cause we don't actually have a, a payment model implemented in it yet. 
um, NFT storage has been burning so hot that, um, you know, we haven't uh, gotten around to, I mean, yeah, it's great for the user, like store a bunch of data on there, get it onto Filecoin. Um, it's a great service, but eventually, you know, I, I mentioned the Filecoin staking model that we're looking to implement there eventually. And this will be a quote unquote payment model to, to increase storage limits there. And the cool thing about this is um, using decentralized identity primitives and, um, you know, users of Web3.storage being able to grant others access to their account in a cryptographic way and things like that. Um, you know, applications might have Web3.storage accounts and users might have Web3.storage accounts. They all can increase their storage limits by staking Filecoin. Um, and, you know, in some cases, an application gives the user permission to use their uh, data allowance and upload data. In some cases, the user might be granting applications, uh, you know, access to their account if they want to hold on to control of their data and things like that. So you really get into this world where, where things are, are kind of like very much decentralized and data access patterns and, uh, you know, how applications are structured and that sort of thing. Those are those become more and more decentralized where, uh, you know, it's not all users as the end nodes to like this network. Um, you know, it's, it's more of a distributed network uh, in terms of uh, how data is is stored and accessed. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I kind of, I'm going to definitely sign up for a web three dot storage account, just kind of experiment with it. I want to, want to check it out. Um, I'm curious, like kind of like looking into like the future of, of everything that you guys are doing. Are you, are you kind of viewing like Filecoin as like that de facto solution for decentralized uh, file storage moving forward or what's, what's, what's the long-term vision of, of the project? Yeah, I, I mean, the long term vision, um, you know, in, in terms of Filecoin, and that's a really good question, because I think like we've been talking about a lot of long term vision type things, but um, looping it back to how Filecoin fits in the picture, I think super important. Um, today, we, we run infrastructure to make the experience for users really good. Uh, you know, it's all content ID and IPFS based. So um, you don't have to trust us like you would have to with like tra a traditional storage provider. But um, we do have to run some additional infrastructure to like make sure that you can retrieve your data really quickly and, and things like that. And um, you still get the feature of data being stored in Filecoin and knowing that there's at least n number of copies of your data being stored verifiably, and you don't have to trust us about that either. Um, and and we we kind of just do both things for you today. Um, in the future, all sorts of I not even the far future, near future, all sorts of cool upgrades coming to Filecoin, like retrieval markets. Um, we talked about the Filecoin virtual machine a few times. Um, you know, deals will be faster to make. Um, so that means if we view like the infrastructure we're running as a staging area to get data onto Filecoin, we have to hold on to less data. Um, you know, the gateways, the IPFS gateways everyone uses, like the web.link. Um, we launched our own gateway called NFT storage that link. Um, so please do check it out. But, uh, you know, these gateways, they'll be hooked up to, to Filecoin storage providers uh, in the near future as well. And um, all that means is that you just have to trust us less and less because you can go straight to the Filecoin storage providers and uh, you can always verify that they're storing your data for you. So um, it's a real big piece of the story here. And um, for us, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking forward to those sorts of innovations because, I mean, it may, means tangible things to us, like, um, you know, that it costs us to run our infrastructure and all that sort of thing. So it really does have tangible benefits from a business standpoint as well.
Go ahead. You go ahead, me too. Nah, nah, you good for it, bro. Oh, I, I muted. I unmuted, then I muted. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask what uh, both of you, Michael, you can go first, and then David, you can go next. Um, what are you most excited about for the rest of 2022? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, you know, this whole week I've had my head in these uh, new architecture discussions for um, for these uh, for, for our new upload service. Um, and I'm just really excited about some of the stuff that we can now do at scale on top of uh, all of this IPFS data. Um, you know, I've, I've written databases and decentralized systems for a long time. And, and I wish that I always had all these primitives for all the data. It's really, really cool. Um, so we're going to be able to roll out like a lot of really cool stuff for our users, um, you know, both people that are interested in NFTs and people that are just storing, you know, content address data for other blockchain use cases. Uh, we're going to be able to give them a lot of really cool integrations for them to connect to other, you know, processing systems and cloud vendors and machine learning and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm getting really, really excited about what we can do with with data in Web3. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, in general, in 2022, I'm excited about the Phoenix Suns winning an NBA championship later this year. Um, if I had to say like one thing, but things more relevant to, you know, what we're working on. Um, I, I think it's exactly the same set of things Michael said, but like more from, uh, you know, what we unlock sort of thing. So you know, there are some really cool things coming out in the next few months with NFT storage, Web3 storage that aren't going to be like super user facing, but people are going to be like, it, it, it's going to be an experience for users in terms of like uploading data and the speeds there and like uh, retrieving data and, and stuff like that, that like, you know, is, uh, I think us as a web three community, we're a little bit tolerant sometimes to things like, Oh, I'm loading this NFT marketplace and it takes two minutes for all the images to load and things like that, because we all kind of understand th this is technology being built right now. Um, but uh, I feel like uh, our, our products have some big step changes coming up in the future. And then it goes beyond just like making sure those images load quickly in an NFT marketplace. Uh, like Michael was saying, um, we can start to tackle use cases where uh, content addressing is just inherently a better thing with like data sets and um, a lot of things and like the developer toolbox around. Um, so like, for instance, for a long time, uh, Netflix was running these IPFS nodes to share these like really large Docker images because they're moving around all the time and it was easier to keep track of CIDs rather than the locations for all of them. So like same sort of thing, there are use cases where IPFS is just better for whatever reasons, it's been hard to like bridge that gap because of various issues like performance, uh, but we're, we're on the cusp of kind of conquering those mountains and, and bringing, uh, bringing that, the beauty of content addressing to, to the masses really. A great example here of, of what David's talking about is like all of our content has a hash address, which means that if you're looking at traditional CDN infrastructure, like we have for all of the current web, all of the content can just be cached forever. So we built an NFT uh, gateway basically for IPFS that's optimized for NFT data. 
right? So whenever new NFTs that we read off of the chain or that come into NFT storage, we actually prime the cache in this gateway. And the gateway sort of understands NFTs, understands IPFS well enough to just like do a really, really good job caching and speeding up all of this stuff. And already we're seeing like above 50% cache hit rates, right? Um, and the moment that we launched this, like I think that we, we, we got this out of beta like a week ago, we already have customers showing up and saying, hey, like how do I cache my, this data though, like forever? How does this just never fall out of cash. Can I pay you for that? <laughs> and we're like, sure. And the amazing thing about this is that um, we we get to cash that data, not just for them, but for anyone else as well. So, you know, marketplaces that really want their customers to have a fast experience, they can ensure that across every other um, interface that would ever be using us as their cash for the NFT data on chain. You're starting to see the benefits, not just of content addressing, but of like everybody working on top of the same data sets in Web3 and in public blockchain. Yeah, working on top of the same data sets and referencing those data sets in the same way. Like, think about how wasteful it is. It, like, you know, a, a, a meme goes viral and it's hosted on like a thousand different platforms, a thousand different news platforms. And like Cloudflare has to like cache that data in their CDNs, you know, a thousand different ways versus just having to like cache it just in one way. You have one copy of that data and you're referring to it via the CID. Um, so yeah, that's... Yeah, Cloudflare recognizes the benefit of it too. They they run their own public gateway. They're really into like designing systems that like utilize innovations like zero knowledge proofs and, and things like that. Uh, I'm at South by this week and I was catching up with a friend who works at Cloudflare. They're working on a lot of cool stuff recognizing this sort of benefit. Um, so, you know, uh, us as a team, our mission is to bring Web3 to the web, uh, meet, you know, developers and, and users where they're at today and really show them the benefits of Web3 innovations like content addressing and um, yeah, that's what we're super excited to do this year. And we think there's going to be some really big, uh, really big wins um, for us as a Web3 community. Yeah, we, we definitely touched on a lot here uh, tonight. And I think I speak for both Mewtwo and I, um, you know, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come talk to us because we know you guys are busy. Um, also, for anybody listening on YouTube or Spotify or any other um, listening platform, Go ahead and plug your socials or where they can follow your updates, um, latest blog posts, stuff like that. Um, you guys just go ahead and plug that real fast, too. Cool. I, I mean, I can go first. I, I try to stay off social media, so I don't have a personal Twitter account. I do run the NFT storage Twitter account, though. If you found some of the topics of conversation today, interesting and uh we uh our blog super active too so you can get access to the blog posts uh easily through following um at nft underscore storage um otherwise yeah hop into our discords uh you can just go to nft.storage that's the url dot storage is like the um you know the tld um so uh that's that for nft.storage web3.storage is the same um, and yeah, you can get links to our Discord channels, our GitHubs, um, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, I, I'm an OG Twitter user, so you can you can follow me on Twitter at m i k e a l. Um, yeah, that's also my handle on, on Instagram as well. Um, but I don't really do anything on Instagram, so you don't need to follow me there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I drop posts um, that we put out on Notion and Medium and, else, and elsewhere. Um, but mainly, you know. Just follow the NFT storage blog, the Web3 storage blog. Um, yeah, Web3.storage and NFT.storage are, are the main spots. Awesome. I appreciate you both coming on the space and, uh, and taking the time out.
I uh, really, really appreciate it. And it was super interesting. I think for me, like the, the meme example, like something that, that really clicked for me um, in terms of a, another use case I wasn't even thinking about. Um, so yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And this is definitely one I'll, I'll be re-listening to to kind of decipher all the, all the alpha you guys shared. Appreciate it. And stay based, everyone. Everybody stay. Good night. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Space to space.